I'm Julie Burstein, and I'm here with Dick Nodell for Work Mysteries. And it's just a beautiful afternoon. It certainly is. The sun is shining, and the leaves are just starting to pop out. Dick, it is that moment in spring where young people are just about to enter the workforce. Some of them may already, in their senior year, have had conversations with potential employers, but one of the big conversations that's coming up, I think, for a lot of kids right now is perhaps the most difficult one, and that is the one about salary. I remember back to my own moment this time in the spring um, when I got my first job, and they said, what do you think should be the salary for this work? And for me, and this will give you an indication of how long ago it was, I thought $12,000 is like the most money I could ever imagine. So I said $12,000. And the woman I was talking to laughed and said, we'll give you thirteen five. And it was a wonderful learning experience. I wish I had done it a little bit differently, but it, it really taught me, why don't you ask a question first rather than give the answer? Do you have any thoughts for people who are about to enter into that kind of a conversation? How do you respond to that question of, what do you think is the right salary for this position? So as you know that I like to do very often, is I want to take a step back first and say that whoever is looking for a job, especially for the first time, you need to do a bit of research. And it's very accessible online these days. You want to be able to find out what the role pays in other companies. Because maybe this particular company won't give you that information. So you want to have a ballpark for yourself before you're walking in the door. You want to know what your range, your acceptable range of salaries are for this work based on what you've found out elsewhere. The second thing, which seems certainly implied in your story, is wherever possible, somehow invite them to speak the number first. So simply asking, what have you paid other people in this role before? Uh, What were you expecting to pay? What was the range of salaries that you had in mind for this role? And how are you making the distinctions? But to really pursue that assertively as something that you legitimately can ask, they may throw it back at you and still say, well, what are, you, what are you looking for? And that's where you need to have your own number going in anyway. But as a first move, by all means, see if you can push back a little bit and find out how they're thinking about it. And I like that first question, which is, what has this role paid historically? What, is, what have you usually had as a salary for this role. Not only that, but you can usually check it out beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) I think for many people entering into this conversation for the first time, there's an anxiety about you don't want to upset the person that you're talking to. But my experience, having been on the other side now of someone offering people a job, is this, this is a conversation that you expect to have with whoever it is you're hiring. It is a conversation, and... Let me frame it slightly differently. We all go into interviews essentially disempowered. We're the one down. We're the subordinate one because we're looking for the job. The fact of the matter is, though, that it's a mutual interview where both parties are sizing each other up in order to find the best fit. So if you're going into an interview and you can hold on to the fact that you yourself are also interviewing then there's a more of a balance in the room and there's more free play back and forth in the conversation. So you can feel authorized to ask questions that would be harder to ask if you felt subordinate. 
And the person who is making the decisions and doing the hiring is probably looking for someone who can hold that kind of power in a conversation. Or if they're not, that gives you some really important information about the corporate culture that you're walking into. Let me add that when you're doing your research, it's a really good idea if you can find out, and this is also something you can ask in that interview, find out what is the leadership culture like in this organization? Is it a kingdom with a kind of court politics? Is it a creative collaborative team? Is there a lot of groupthink? These are some of the things that you want to find out about to see whether the fit is right. And it's not just about the money. You've raised three such important different kinds of cultures. How would you actually phrase a question like that if you were in a conversation with someone who is, who is looking to hire you? Well, because the phrase leadership culture is so ambiguous, ask them, well, what style of leadership is performed here? What's the culture like? What kind of expectations do leaders have of subordinates here? That's great. And don't offer here different kinds. Listen for what it is they're talking about. Yes. Ask them what they mean. Try not to offer your own opinion too much. As we talk about this idea of leadership and also the idea of money, one of, I think, the exquisite complications of this particular moment in life is you're leaving school and the embrace of your parents. Sometimes you're actually going home to live with your parents when you go to work and moving into your own life. But there are expectations that parents have, I think, of what their children will be able to do in the world. One young woman said to me, you know, my dad said to my mom, I expect my daughter to make $90,000 right out of college. And my mom said, that's because he has such incredible faith in me. But I just laughed and said, if I make $90,000 when I retire from this kind of work, I'm going to be really lucky. Do you have any suggestions for young people as they negotiate not just the work world, but leaving the nest of how to begin those conversations of, in a way, managing expectations with their parents? I want to say that that's too small a question to encompass all the things that you just brought. The first thing is that what we've been talking about is that there there are two parallel tracks that a young person at this juncture is following. And that is, on the one hand, there's an inner world that she or he is separating from. And I'll talk about that in a minute. What we've been talking about so far is that there's also an outer world that the young person is entering into and is therefore going to be unfamiliar with. It's going to be like that tarot card of the fool. This is what we all feel like when we get out of college into the world. We're about to step off a cliff. But in any event, what we've been talking about has been that outer dimension, and that needs its own set of strategies and its own thought. And a whole parallel track is this other one that you've now raised, which is this process of evolving away from who you were defined as in your family. And that what I think work offers, one of the great things that work offers, and I think that's why people become workaholics, is that you really get to know who you are in a completely different context. So what this young woman seems to have shown already is an admirable sense of her own separateness, of her own individual identity to be able to laugh that off from her father. So the larger context here is that what she was able to do by laughing it off is sustain the affectionate contact with her father 
and grow the two of them forward into an adult parent to an adult child relationship, which is an entirely different construction than they've ever experienced before. And can take a long time. It's a, it's a process. It's a lifetime's journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dick Nodell, thank you so much for another conversation about work mysteries. Well, since I'm also having a daughter graduate this year, it's very live here in the house anyway. So thank you for giving me a chance to think about it.